Thank you for tuning in. My prayer is that this message is going to be an encouragement to you personally and will cause great growth in your life. It's time to live and it's time to take this next step forward. God bless you as you listen. It's mid-September and it is crazy warm, isn't it? I still love it. Hey, this is Texas. I'm just glad I don't live in Minnesota. Where I mean, I, it may be nice there today, but in three months, uh-uh, no way. I tried. I visited there one time. I'm like, that's it. I'm never coming back. Uh, but hey, it's, it's really good to see you guys. Hey, I, I was just thinking, were th- is there anyone in here who was with us on grand opening Sunday, September 11th, 2011? Would you... Who, who would you stand if you were here with us? Because I don't know. I'm looking at here. Jack, yeah, I'm friends. Good, good. One, two. All right, you can sit down. Grand opening Sunday. That's exactly right. What an awesome time that was. We called it Grand Opening Sunday. It was very, very grand. It was just a few of us that were here. We, I remember I invited like all my friends. And they're like all ministry people. And so a lot of people sacrificed and came. You know, but they had to go back to their own churches the next week. But, but man, I tell you what, God's done something amazing among us. Well, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to get your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Joshua 1, 6. Bible, Bible apps. I like to follow along with this passage I'm about to show you. It's a real important one in the Bible. Uh, you know, we live in the heart of a really great city. But at the same time, the pressure is on. Now, I, I, I've lived in a variety of sizes of cities uh, throughout, throughout all of my years. Uh, but here's one thing I've noticed. It seems like the larger the city, it feels like the more pressure there is to worry about what people think. Pressure to conform to whatever. Uh, And you know, it's like, hey, if you're going to thrive, you got to make everybody happy, right? (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) But the thing is, we act like that. We still do. We we do. And we act like that far too often, and sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. You know, we, we hide our flaws. We put up these phony plastic fronts and it's just all this thing about we got to look good got to look good got to look good but the thing is this this has been going on uh really uh, throughout all of history whenever people cluster there that tends to happen uh, and you know what another thing we do is we assign labels to people we we do we find a label for them we categorize them into groups according to their ethnicity or social standing or possibly occupation or education or generation or income level we do that and uh and and that's that's one of the things that just that that kind of frustrates me you know i know culture culture does that but i i really I, I really love the church because in the church you can have the millionaire sitting next to the homeless man and it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are. The church is for you. But you know, when I was uh, in junior high, I was living in Harlingen, Texas. Anyone ever lived in the Rio Grande Valley, McAllen, Brownsville, Harlingen? Yeah, River Valley people. Yeah, it's good to see y'all. Uh, you know, I, I went to Harlingen High School, so you guys know where that is. Uh, well, you, you may not know where the one was that I went to, but, uh, but when I was in junior high, I went to uh, junior high and uh, there in Harlingen, and, and at that time, there were two basic categories you could fit into. Uh, you will, you were either going to be what's called a surfer or a kicker. Has, has anyone heard of those two categories? That was definitely the valley, all right? That was definitely the valley. Now, here, here's what it was like in uh, all around 1980 or so, uh, 1979, 1980, when I was in junior high. Uh, you, a surfer didn't 
necessarily literally surf. Most didn't at all. But they listened to pop music, and they had to wear Levi's jeans, and they wore surf shirts like Hang 10 and OP, Ocean Pacific. How many of you guys wore Hang 10 or OP? Any, any, any of y'all? Yeah, that's right. See, we were good. We got this thing down. Uh, some of you are still wearing them. It's like, wait, I don't know. But, but on the other hand, there were the kickers, and the kickers listened to country music. <laughs> and it was very obvious the kickers wore Wrangler jeans. I mean, you could spot a kicker from a mile, a mile off. It's like Wrangler. Okay, we, we know what you we know what you are. Uh, sometimes Western style shoots or or cowboy boots, and and so I fit into the surfer category. And now I I didn't surf, but I, I liked going to the beach, and I wore Hangton and OP, and that was kind of like what I did. Um, and then when I got into high school, there were even more divisions. It just kept dividing up. But when you were in junior high, there were just like the two. At uh, one time, I remember my best friend John John McKenzie, and he's a, he's actually a pastor now. Uh, here up in Frisco, but, but John, John said, hey, Tim, you know, I, I, wouldn't you want to be a kicker? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I was like, I don't want to wear, wear Wranglers. Those, those, those look really uncomfortable. And so, so the, really, that was our conversation. And so, so he goes, well, hey, I, I'm gonna, I've got some Copenhagen, and I would love for you to come meet me out under the stadium, and we can try it out and see if we want to be kickers. And so I just prayed, and I didn't do it. No, that's a lie. <laughs> I, you know, I, he, he opened it up in the hallway, he says, smell of it, and I went, you know, but, but of course, acted like I liked it, and so, so he put it back, and, and you know, you, they, the, the, uh, the kickers always had the circle in the back pocket, all right, so he put it in his back, well, we couldn't do that in, in school, but he had to put it in his back pocket as soon as he was getting ready to leave, and, and so, so we walked out to the stadium, and we met out there, met in our secret place, and and we did the Copenhagen, and, and I was like, hmm. Uh, 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 uh. I, I walked home. I lived about eight blocks from my school, and I walked home, and I was spitting the entire time. As soon as I got home, I went and grabbed the, like, a big thing of peanut butter. I just scarfed it in my mouth, trying to get rid of the smell, the taste, everything. <laughs> it was funny because then I saw it, John, that, uh, that it was a Wednesday. We saw him that Wednesday evening at church. And I'm like, hey, John. You know, he said, I don't think I want to be a kicker. I said, I don't either. I said, that stuff tastes nasty. So that, that was my one moment of being a kicker for about five minutes. But, but in high school, there were even more divisions. Uh, yeah, we still had the surfers and the kickers, but and they were predominant. But there were also, the, at that time, the preppies and the nerds and the rockers. Basically, you were a rocker if you wore rock concert T-shirts, which was like, I know some of you wear them now, but those are from my era, and I know about them, all right? And, and, uh, and that, and, but really, it's like you wore rock concert T-shirts, and basically you did drugs, okay? That's, you, you were a rocker. Don't, don't look at me that way. I know what I'm talking about. I was there. You weren't, all right? And I wasn't a rocker, but I had some great rocker friends. I had a lot of rocker friends. Uh, they were cool, like, hey, man, you know, that, that's what they were. A nerd? Nope, a nerd. I was never smart enough to be a nerd. Plus, there were a couple things nerds did that I didn't like doing. They carried around these big Texas Instruments calculators all the time. And, and, they, and they also, the nerds at that time, were the only people who, wore, who had backpacks. You know, you didn't have a backpack unless you were a nerd. And so they could spot them a mile off. It's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want our backpack, backpack. Now everybody wears them, all right? You're a nerd if you don't wear a backpack. But uh, uh, then there were the preppy. I guess I could say I was more kind of like a surfing preppy, but never really a kicker. But, and I didn't like Copenhagen, and I refused to wear cowboy boots. And so, so, you know, but the thing is, as we move on, maybe it's not quite that harsh, but as we move on in life, we still have these little categories, and we have to conform to the category. And I, don't, I, don't, I just don't like that. 
to, to be honest with you, it, it's this attempt of culture to try to, where we feel like we have to try to fit in. Why? It's because we care a little too much about what other people think. But even though you're all grown up now, the culture is still trying to define you, and it's trying to tell you in all kinds of different ways how to measure up. And that's actually the opposite of what the church is supposed to do. You see, what the church does is the church builds faith. The church will increase hope. The church is a place where we bless one another, and we don't curse and put down other people because they don't look like us, act like this, or, or, have, or wear the same clothes as, as someone else. The church is not a place for an attitude of exclusion. Not at all, not at all. Today, I'm, I'm going to challenge you personally to begin to care a little less about what other people think about you. I'm going to challenge you to embrace your flaws. You don't have to flaunt it, but you need to embrace it and own it. And move forward as a man or a woman of God, and you can do it full of God's power. See, the culture tells us that the, that the powerful people are the ones who are the shiniest, the most polished and refined and wealthy and quasi-perfect type of people. And, and that these people are naturally strong and they just automatically have this undaunted courage. They're born that way. But Jesus really taught us something radically different because all that's a sham. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about that today. Uh, really, it's time to break free from that feeling that you have to constantly conform to a script that's been handed to you by a culture. And you should no longer be driven by by what you believe other people might think about you. I'd love for you to be set free today. I believe that really so much of the private pain in, in Christians' lives, it has its roots to do with fear, fear of, of being really who you are. We don't want our imperfections to be out there. We don't want our problems to be discovered. And so what we do is we put up these false fronts, these masks, I guess you could wear, say, and, and, and we, we don't really then operate in the power of God because we're so conscious about trying to look or act or do or talk a certain way. And then, then what happens this, and this, this is true, what happens then is when you're alone and you find yourself all by yourself, you actually hate what you have become. And the results of all this kind of stuff is relationship pain, and then you end up with issues of rejection and resentment. Uh, it really feeds into deep loneliness and offense, and you, you kind of live in blame all the time, and isolation. You can even lead to addiction and incre- and just, just con- uh, constantly increasing doubt about everything. A lack of a life vision, a lack of personal identity, because you're wearing a mask, and therefore you feel like everybody else is too, and so it's like this is all a joke. So let's deal with this. I love dealing with stuff. Come on, let's just deal with this. This is the first message in a three-part series called Imperfectly Powerful. And I'm going to be addressing each one of these, uh, these this month. Next week, I'm talking about giving up on perfectionism. This week, I'm talking about rejecting powerless. Uh, next, the week after that, rejecting powerlessness. But this week, my message title is really what's up on the screen. It says, who cares what people think? Can you say it with me? Can we say it out loud? Come on. Who cares what people think? You've always wanted to say that. You say it quietly. Now you said it in church, all right? Hey, but, but as a believer in Jesus, there's a whole lot that's in you, and there's a whole lot more to you than you might actually believe, and I want to unlock that today. I want to challenge you, in spite of your own personal setbacks, and you've all had faced them, in your trials and your imperfections, that in the middle of your weakness, I'm going to challenge you to be strong and courageous. That's my challenge for you today. 
Through God, you can be strong and you can be courageous. I'm telling you guys, there's great freedom in just simply living that way. And, and, And when you start living strong and courageous, you can stop caring what everybody else thinks about you. You you can change. You don't have to keep putting up a front. Thing is, most of us are naturally drawn to people who are warm and genuine and honest and authentic, you know, down-to-earth people. And you could be that way. I I, I, want to say you should be that way. I want you to be that way. The thing is, like, in the culture in general, it's harder and harder to find people who are actually like that. My hope is that the most genuine, the warmest, the most honest, down-to-earth people in the city will be the people of this church, and that's really what I want. I, I want us to be that kind of a church. I want us to make the choice. to cho- just, We're going to choose authenticity in a culture that dictates everything from how much we weigh to what brand of clothes we wear to what our houses should look like. You know, I want us to be real people in a culture that tells us we have to fit in in order to be accepted. You know, you need to be, be free to be imperfect. Some people say, well, church is all those perfect people. You don't hang out with the same ones I do. I don't know where those people are, all right? I'll just tell you guys, I've been in church all my life. I, like, I was like almost born in church. And, uh, and I, I went to church all my life. And I still have not found those perfect people. Now, I've, I've, you know, I've dealt with all kinds of people. I mean, some people like, you're just not that weird. You know, I've, I've dealt with some people that just think they're like, they're, like they're, they are really God, but they're not because you know it. But, but there really aren't that very many people like that. The truth is, church is just a mixed up group of people, but we're not a mixed up mess. We're mixed up people that are actually serving God. And nobody here, nobody here would say, I've got it all together. Nobody here. See, this is a place where you should be free to be imperfect. At the same time, not rejecting others who have flaws. I, I, this is an atmosphere where I want us to, to open up and be vulnerable. I want this to be a place where, where you have the freedom to pursue relationships where you can belong, knowing that it's not based upon external performance. And uh, I want this to be a place where you can be set up for this major transformation of God that's going to open up more and more life to you than you've ever known before and even more opportunity for you because when you begin walking like this, like I'm talking about today, it can change everything about your life. It's time to accept the challenge. Accept the challenge to be strong and courageous. So as we prepare to read our text today in Joshua chapter 1, I want to tell you a little bit about the backstory. Uh, so I want to take you back about 40 years in the story. Uh, 40 years prior th- from what we're about ready to read today, God had set his people free from Egyptian slavery. And they were being led out of Egypt by Moses. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or you've seen the movie? Kinda, you, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. So Moses, he had a second in command. He was a much younger man by the name of Joshua. And, and, and they spent about 40 years together in the Sinai Peninsula where God was preparing them to uh, possess and to occupy this promised land, which today we know of as Israel, right? Okay, it's still there today. Joshua had seen God work in amazing uh, ways, and he had seen, he'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, Joshua was a man of unwavering faith. He was a natural person to take over when Moses passed away. And so during, during that time, he actually had 40 years of preparation for this big moment, which we're about ready to uh, read about today, the moment when Moses died. 
And now Joshua was going to lead this massive group of, of Jews, you know, up probably somewhere near 2 million people, into the promised land. And the battles were not going to be easy. It was, it was going to be a tough thing, but he had to do it. So because God is all-knowing, he also knows our insecurities. And this all-knowing God, seeing how Joshua felt that he wasn't good enough, God spoke to him, and that's what we're about ready to read today. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Jump in here with me. Wow, this is good. God says, and you know what? Even as I'm reading this, I want you to think of God speaking to you this way. I want, I want you to get this. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then God says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their, their ancestors to give them. And God says it again, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you can have success, so you'll be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Then he says it again. Hey, Joshua, except he didn't say that. He just said, have I not commanded you? This is a command from God. Be strong and courageous. We think of the commands of God as thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Thou, sure, those are, but there are a lot of other commands that are not thou shalt not. This is thou shalt, okay? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. This is actually one of my favorite passages in the scripture. God is driving home this point that he will not let up on us and he won't let us go. And, and I believe this is what God says to us today. In fact, I, I love dissecting the passages and it's kind of interesting because the way this passage is woven together is almost like, like a circle. You know, it starts at one place and then it ends at the same place it started because basically he's saying to Joshua at the beginning, I'm with you, like he's saying to us. I'm not going to desert you, so be strong and full of courage because your life has purpose. There's stuff for you to do. And I want you to be very strong and have a lot of courage. I want you to follow God's word because that's where you're going to find success and how you're going to learn how to prosper if you do what the Bible says. And then again, he says, be strong and courageous. Don't melt when the tough times come because I'm going to be with you. And then God says it again, I'm not going to desert you. It's all built, this whole thing is built around this one command that's spoken three times in here. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. But I'll also tell you, this is only really possible when we let go of nursing our flaws and we invite the Holy Spirit to empower us. I spent some time studying those words uh, and because I always want to ask, I, I don't ever want to come up here and just give you my opinions. I, I think if it's, if it's an opinion, I'll tell you it's an opinion, okay? But, but, but I wanted to let you know what I believe God's word is actually saying. And so what I do is I will study the original language because God didn't speak to, to him in English. So when we hear the words be strong and courageous, we, can, we might picture a lot of different things. I might mean like go to the gym and, and bulk out, you know, and, and I, 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 you might be thinking of these things. It's not actually what it means at all. So, so what did it mean to Joshua when he heard this from God? Because God spoke to him in Hebrew, 
And sometimes translations are a little bit diluted. So let's look at what he says. Really, be strong and courageous means this. It means to strengthen yourself and be assured and, and make yourself firm, be determined, and be persistent. That's a command of God to be that way. All right? Here it is. When you, when you ask the Holy Spirit to come into you and to fill you, this can happen to you, but it's not something you have to force. It's not something you have to conjure up and make it happen and force it to happen. It actually comes from God. Now, that's the beauty of it. Now, I also want to say this in contrast to what being strong and courageous is not. Because when God said be strong and courageous, he was not putting these images in his mind. Be strong and courageous does not mean to be a hero with an embodiment of perfection free from flaws and weaknesses. But that's the way we filter it quite often. In other words, show up and be real. Be honest. Let your true self be seen and allow God to strengthen and embolden you. It's time for us to stop asking questions like, well, what, well, you know, what if other people don't feel I'm good enough? Or what if, what if I allow my flaws to be seen and nobody likes what they see? Or, or what if everybody in my life really likes the fake me and, and, and the, the you know, fake perfect me, which I know really isn't perfect, it's very fake? What if they like that better and if they see this, that they won't like it? I'm just telling you guys, those what ifs are holding you hostage and they are preventing you from being strong and courageous and actually stepping forward into who you should be, who God actually fashioned you to be. And I'll be honest with you, sure, there'll be people who may still put you down, people who will attack your appearance and your family, your parenting, your lovability. But in the midst of that, you can be real and imperfect. You can be strong and courageous. Today I'm going to give you five very simple principles that I'm going to ask you to embrace. And I want you to jot these down. Here's the first one. This is principle number one. You have flaws. Just write it down. Just get it in. Come on, it's true. It's time to admit it, and you already know it. You're imperfect. You're flawed. Sometimes you're just jacked up. All right, let's just be honest with you. But at the same time, you're forgiven. And God himself... If you've asked Christ to come into your life, God himself actually lives inside of you. So when you're weak, you're actually strong because strength itself is in you. And you can be strong, you can be strong at the same time when you're weak, when you're weak emotionally, weak relationally, weak physically, or weak financially. I like what Paul says. Paul is the one I'm going to talk about today because Paul is a perfect embodiment of this and he put it all out there he really did this is the greatest missionary in the new testament this guy was a church planter like crazy he, look what he says in second corinthians eleven twenty nine. he says who is weak and i do not feel weak and who is led into sin and i do not inwardly burn he says then if i must boast i will boast of the things that show my weaknesses Let's be honest, just like Paul, God knew you were messed up when he called you. It's time to stop hating on yourself and quit doubting and hiding and look to Jesus instead because in him you can be strong and courageous. So that's the first one. Remember that you have flaws. The second one is this, is embrace your flaws. Just embrace them. You might say, well, I want to be perfect. Give it up. It's not going to happen. 
But here's the beauty of it. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and God is total perfection. There is no better place to be than to have a, just have a lot of God in you and on you. As Paul was going through his, uh, he was going through this really, really tough place. Uh, the scripture calls it a thorn in the flesh. He was going through this really tough, we don't know exactly what it was, but this is a time when his weaknesses and his flaws and his imperfections just seemed to be hammering on him. Again, we don't know what it was, but I love how he spoke about it, how he wrote about it. Look, about, look at this. He, he says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, three times I pleaded for the Lord to take it away from me. Sometimes you guys say, God, just I don't like this weak area or this problem or whatever it is. But God said to me, well, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's a paradox right there because that's God. He says, therefore, I will, he just says, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. If you don't get anything else today, get this right here. When you boast about your weaknesses and you're living in Christ and you're pursuing the things of God, you actually become strong and you become more mighty because more of God's power will rest on you. See, if you don't need God's power, well, God's not like, well, okay, I'll just give it to somebody else who needs it more, you know? Would God do that? Uh-huh. That's why he asked for it. That's what he says then. That's why for Christ's sake, I like it, I like it. I've always just thought this. I, I love it when Paul just says, for Christ's sake, so that is in the Bible. Paul says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am what? Ah, oh, come on, say it again. When I am weak, I am? Fortalece. That's right. All those who speak Spanish are just really proud of me. That wasn't tongues, all right? Paul all of a sudden just got really real. He embraced his flaws, and he did it at the risk of being rejected. Because a lot of people that didn't even like him they thought he was Mr. Hotshot. Oh, he's the church guy. He goes around starting churches all the time. He must think he's good. He's like, yeah, actually, you know what? I'm kind of a mess. I love that. And you know what? There's always a risk of being real. But I, I actually believe the greater risk is hiding yourself and hiding your gifts from the world. Because God's put stuff in you. And the truth is, there's so much goodness in you. And that goodness needs to find a way out. And you need to express it because it is part of your purpose. The generosity that's in your heart, it's not going to go away, so start releasing it. It's because that's who you are. It's time to drop the feelings that, well, I'm going to be judged if I'm that way. No. Begin to delight in your weaknesses. Delight in your insults. Delight in the hardships and the persecutions and the difficulties. For when you are weak, if you're in Christ, you're strong. So here's a nice little challenge. Stop trying to be a hero. Stop trying to be perfect. But instead, be strong and courageous. And that is done through God. When I first started as a pastor, uh, as a senior pastor, a lead pastor about 20 years ago, I, w I felt this strange temptation that I'd never really felt before, and that was to try to accommodate and please everyone. And I was pastoring a church about 1,000 people, and, and, uh, and I cared too much about what other people thought. And I wanted to be liked by everyone on their terms. I mean, who doesn't want to be liked? We all want to be liked, but I, I was trying to make, you know, you try to make a thousand people happy, and I was like, that ain't going to work. And I tried living that way a couple of years, but it really just about killed me. I came to this point where I just gave up, 
And at that point, I immediately, no, I didn't give up on God <laughs> or the church. I just gave up trying to do that. And uh, immediately, I noticed all of a sudden I had this more, I had more time and energy and attention and love and connection for the most important people in my life. That was amazing. And a few people didn't like me about it, and I can't even remember them today to this point. <laughs> so embrace your flaws. The third principle is this. Here it is. God is for you. And that's not some trite little statement. He really is. You are made in the image of Christ himself. And so it's like what Paul said, the more problems you have, the more hang-ups you have, is actually an opportunity for more of the grace and the power of God that's available to you. Paul also, Paul also said this. He said, if God is for us, then who can be against us? I mean, who cares what people think? In other words, God's on your side. God is for you. You can be strong and good. You got it. So embrace those flaws, knowing that God is 100% for you. <coughs> and know this also, God can't stop loving you. That's the fourth principle. I mean, other people, yeah, they're going to stop loving you. That'll happen. But God, he can't. I mean, it, it's impossible. He can't. I mean, I, I'm far from perfect, and sometimes I, sometimes I get low. Sometimes I just feel really down. And uh I, I, but I used to feel like this, like, well, I don't know if God really loves me, and especially when I made up, would like mess up and make bad decisions. But I learned to move through that, learned to advance through that when I understood, even as a pastor, that God must love me, always. But the truth is, nobody's perfect. I mean, only Jesus. So God knows already that perfect people don't exist, and you're not them. None of us are. We all fail. But God's love for you is bigger than your mistakes. God loves imperfect people and so that means every single one of us have got something going for us here here's the deal you know if you're married you know that your spouse is imperfect right don't don't shake your head i mean just you can on the inside if your spouse is sitting next to you spouse is not in the service you can go yeah pastor i know all right you know that your children aren't perfect you know that you know that your parents aren't perfect but you still love them Humans have the capacity to love imperfect people. So if we can love imperfect people, why are we surprised that God will love imperfect people even more? The Apostle Paul, he once described himself as the chief of sinners. Basically, he's saying, I'm like the ultimate sinner. I'm the worst of all sinners in the world. <laughs> My sin beats your sin, you know. But at the same time, he wrote these words. <laughs> I love this. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, he said, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? So trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? God can't stop loving you. And he gave himself on the cross for you and me. He died for you. Thing is, if you were the only person in this world, Jesus Christ would have died for you. So the love of God is deeply personal. Plus, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you less. Basically, it's this. God, in his great love, embraces everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And he sets up an eternity for you that's far beyond your ability to comprehend or understand. And you're justified by your own faith. The result of that 
is a changed life because of what God does in you. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, your life changes, and that's a good thing. You don't even have to force it. You no longer even live your old life, but you live a new one by faith in the Son of God. This fifth principle about the never-ending love of God, what it does to us, is really the whole crux of this message. That never-ending love of God, here's what it is, is God loves, God's love makes you strong and courageous. That's what it is. It's the love of God being poor. That's making you strong and courageous. Once you fully embrace that love and allow yourself to be just filled and inundated with his Holy Spirit, God's power begins to flow through you. You are strong and courageous. Paul said this. Come on, this is, this is a, another beautiful passage from him. This guy, he wrote some good stuff on this topic. He said, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, now catch that. He didn't say we are conquerors. We're like above a conqueror. And since there's no word for that, we'll just say more than conquerors. That's pretty good. Through him who loves us. That means strength and courage right there. And then he says, for I'm convinced that neither life, nor, nor death, nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor heavenly rulers, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever, ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, knowing this, you can overcome being obsessed with other people's opinions of you. You don't have to pander to other people when you get this. You don't have to pander to the culture anymore. You don't have to play the game. You can just simply dive deep into the love of God and be yourself full of his strength and his power. And that's what God wants for you. That's what I want for you. And that's what I want this church to be full of. Full of a bunch of people that are full of the Holy Spirit. Not full of themselves. Full of the Holy Spirit. Just saying, I am who I am. But God in me is a whole lot better than me. And really, that's, that's my heart. That's my desire. God's love for you. It's unconditional. God's love for you, it is wholehearted. God's love for you is continual. Get that. That should boost you right where you are right now. You can be strong and courageous. Your best is yet to come. You can make a difference in this world because the God of love dwells in you. That'll bolster your confidence right there, knowing that everywhere you go, you're carrying God with you. And, and God's power is flowing through you, so therefore, you can be real and you don't have to be afraid of people anymore you don't have to worry that you might not be liked you can be yourself you can be authentic how does this apply to life on your cultural street during the week well this little axiom is good it says the flawed strong and courageous person exudes authenticity exudes authenticity Authenticity will actually open doors for you on your cultural street because people want to be around real people, and you know it's true, right? You don't like being around phony plastic people. Yeah, you don't. I love being around strong and courageous people also, don't you? You want to walk in this? Be strong and courageous. It's a gift from God. I'd like for there to be no movement at this time. I'd like for you just to lock yourself in with you and God for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. And 
possible you've drifted from relationship with God. I don't know where you are spiritually. I can't see inside. But if you want to know the Jesus that I'm talking about and you want a new beginning, want a fresh start, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond just simply by lifting your hand. And, and when you do that, you're just letting me know, man, I, I'm ready to take this step. I want to, I want to follow Jesus. And, and know this, though. Jesus loves you more than you can understand or comprehend, and he died for you so that you can have life and life to the full. And today it's your time to live. So if you want to be included in this prayer, surrender your life completely to Jesus. When I count to three, lift your hand so that I can see it. And then we're going to pray together. It'll be that wonderful moment. Is that you? Are you ready to make this decision to follow Jesus? Would you lift your hand? One, two, three. Lift it up. All of the room. Thanks. Thanks. Who else? Thanks. Thank you so much. Put your hands down. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like everyone to look up at me. If you lifted your hand along with the rest of the congregation, I'm going to ask us all to stand right now. Will you do that? I'm going to ask you to stand. If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray these words with me. Pray it with me and mean it from the bottom of your heart. A congregation of believers, I want you to pray this as well. Pray these words right here. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. It's time for me to live. I give up my past, and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for strength and courage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For those of you who prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. In fact, congregation, we say this. Yeah. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.